the CEO of your life in biz? I'm Emily Alderson, and I'm on a mission to elevate the beauty industry one success story at a time. If knowledge is power and seeing is believing, imagine what could happen if you expanded your mind to the possibilities. What kind of shift could you make happen? This is Stories with Stylists. Hello, hello, and welcome to Cosmo CEO, the podcast. Super excited for our guest today, Ms. Dawn Bradley. She um, is a hairstylist in Canada, and she also um, mentors and coaches stylists to earn more and stress less. And by more, I'm talking like six figures, baby. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for being here and welcome. Oh my gosh, I'm so so excited to be here and thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, I always like to start off with where are you from and what led you to cosmetology? So, so I'm from Canada. I was brought up in a small town on the prairies, like in basically the armpit of Canada, we call it. It's Saskatchewan. Um, and I had cosmetology in high school and I took it for an easy credit because I was like how hard can braiding hair be I remember thinking (laughs) that and I was up for a scholarship to go to school and I was like "Mm, no thanks like I don't I'm I'm gonna be something more than a hairstylist right like I had that mentality and stigma around it Um, but then I didn't have a summer job and I'd been accepted to university but I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I remember being like why would I go to university when I don't have a goal in mind like that seems like a waste And so my mom just said, like, why don't you just go, why don't we just go into the city? Because we lived in a small town. We go into the city and check out the hair school. Um, And I like no word of a lie. I, they had, I had to write a three page essay for my um, submission. I'm pretty sure they just let anybody go. But anyway, I like hand wrote it out with pencil and submitted it. That makes me sound like a dinosaur. Um, it was in 2001. Anyway, and that I just went for something fun to do and thought I could like work my way through university. I could do my family and friends hair later on in life and never dreamed whatsoever that I'd be where I am now, at now, 19 years later, or even two years after that, where I'd be. Like It was not a career goal. And I remember my hairstylist in high school being like, if you want to be able to financially provide for yourself someday do not go into this. My hairstylist told me that. <laughs> so that's kind of the, sh- the short long of my entrance. It's so crazy too, because I feel like, um, I mean, even from when I got into now, seeing the evolution of like the independent educator and all of the opportunities that there are, like I got into it in kind of a way too. It's like, well, what am I going to do? Maybe I'll do this. I'll try it out. And then yeah, once you're in, you're like, oh my gosh, I could go over here. I could do this. I could do that. I could do this. I could do that. And I'm in Southern California. So that like you see like the Hollywood and all of those things. But um, yeah, most people are just like, go to high school, go to college, get a real job. And yeah. so I just love hearing um, what people have done because there are so many opportunities in this industry and it can be very lucrative and it can be whatever you want it to be I think and that's what's so important to learn yeah I think for the longest time I thought like you know become a stylist be an apprentice become here to get like 
like formally licensed. You have to become a journeyman, it's called. Um, but you can like go, you can basically go to school and start doing hair right away as a as an apprentice. Um, but get your journeyman's and then, you know, work in a salon for years, then become a salon owner with staff. And I thought that was like the chain of command. And that's how you worked your way up the ladder in our industry. And then I remember getting to a point where I was like, but I don't think I want to have staff. I don't think I want to have other stylists under me. Like that doesn't sound. And I was like, and then I felt like a failure in my own industry. And I even felt like I didn't fit in for the longest time. Cause I'm like, I'm not really into runway stuff. I don't really want to do avant-garde. I'm not attracted to competing in shows and doing like, I just want to make the person in my chair feel amazing. And I want them to walk out feeling more confident. And if I can by the exterior do some sort of stuff, cause I struggled with being like, am I even contributing to the world in a worthwhile way? Like I'm just doing a vanity type service. And I was like, but if I can buy the appointment and by doing the hair, can make them feel better on the inside by doing something externally, then my job is like, when I shifted that perspective, I was like, I feel fulfilled. How, how soon in do you think you kind of had that realization? Because I, I think it took me, I think when I first had clients start to say to me, like, oh my gosh, like this changed my life or, oh my gosh, you are like a doctor or amazing or like, I feel so much better, my confidence, or I got this or I got that. And you're like, cool. (laughs) It seemed really cool. So when do you think you really realized that like you were, weren't just doing hair, but making a difference in their lives? It's funny because, so I was brought up in a like very conservative, very conservative Christian upbringing. And I'm, I don't really put myself into, anyway, that's a whole nother story. Anyway, I don't really like put myself in that box anymore. Um, but anyway, at one point I was like, I really want to like be in ministry for women and thinking that that road was like to work in a church or something. And I remember talking to a roommate of mine at the time and she's like, Don, look at the way you help women in your chair. Don't you think that's like your quote unquote ministry? Um, and I was like, Oh yeah, that is totally it. Like, I don't need to, you know, like if I want to help women in my life, um, it, like, and at that time I thought it had to be in a Christian organization and in a church and stuff, but mm-hmm. realizing, no, my like purpose in life is to help women know and feel their worth and value. I love that. And then you've kind of made the transition from like helping clients in your chair feel their worth to then educating stylists to do the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have this really sweet, I'm not in the salon right now, but I have this really sweet letter that my boyfriend wrote me. Uh, I think it was our like first Christmas together. And he writes me letters every Christmas and birthday. And there's like one year it was like, he wrote it from the perspective of our dog. The other year he like wrote it as if Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys was writing me. Like he's just so fun and creative. But the first one he did was like all about like the purpose he sees in me doing my job. And it's really, really, I have it framed and he gave me like a giving keys necklace with it. And it was really affirming to have a partner that's like, I totally see beyond what you do, but what you actually do. And it's really rewarding. Absolutely. It's funny you tell me that story because I was just talking to the esthetician that works here and we were talking about being closed and how stressful it is. And um, her husband was saying the same thing. He's like, you know, if you feel like you need a part-time job or whatever, don't like lose sight of what your dreams are and what your goals are mm-hmm. and love what you do. And I think we are so lucky to be in an industry where we love what we do. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people go to work and our work 
is like a lot more than that I think so it's super I always like the 80 20 rule in like work or fun to work and I'm like 80 percent of the time I feel like I'm just having fun excuse me the 20 percent that feels like work sucks but I'm like some people feel like work is 100 percent of the time and if I can feel like I'm having fun 80 percent of the time I've got a pretty sweet gig pretty sweet gig and then I think finding that balance between like I love what I do however I am here for money like this is not a charity um yeah you talk a lot about boundaries in your um in your business and having that boundary between the client and the stylist how does that mm-hmm. kind of look for you and when did you was there any sort of pivotal moment that you were just like I can't be doing this anymore like I need me showing up to look like this and you just kind of like stood in it was there like a moment yeah. it just kind um, of evolved? I would say it was a series of moments, but, uh, so when, so when I went out on my own in 2010, um, I thought I was giving the ultimate customer service. Someone said, jump. I said, how high? Like, Oh, I need my hair done. Oh, but it's on a Sunday afternoon. You don't work, but like Don, no one else can do my hair. And it stroked my ego so hard to know that I could make someone else happy, mm-hmm. that I could do something. I could sacrifice myself and make someone else happy. It filled my cup because my self-worth and self-value was so low that someone being able to make someone else happy, like kind of, you know, filled up that cup a little bit. And I, in the process, lost myself. And, and this is rings true in my like personal life, professional life completely. It's like, I didn't have, I didn't know how to stand my own ground because I put all my worth and value in the hands of other people. So my success, I measured by how happy I could make my clients. And so because I wasn't in a salon and we didn't, I didn't have a receptionist all of a sudden, um, I, someone would be like, well, but nobody else can do my hair and it needs to be done this day. And I'd be like, okay, Susan, like, sure, I'll stay late on Friday night and miss my nephew's soccer game and things like that. And the resentment and frustration and anger built up because I was like, how dare they ask me? And I always thought I had to say yes. Like, I didn't know you could say no when someone asked a question yeah. to you. <laughs> and so this built up. And then in 2014 or 2015, I moved and I basically ran away from life. A whole lot of stuff had gone on in my personal life. I just needed a fresh start. But also professionally, I was like at my breaking point, burnt out. And I was like, I'm going to move to a bigger city. So I was in a city of like 200,000 or 300,000. And I was like, I'm going to move to Calgary where there's like over a million people and people are going to respect me more there. Cause they're, cause it's a big city and it's more metropolitan, blah, 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 blah. And it's going to be different and I can start over. And then everything just started happening again and realizing like, oh shit, I, sorry. I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, like I need to change and I need to do the work, but I'd already started into a groove here. Um, so anyway, to make a really long story short, um, I ended up in the hospital on August 30th, 2016 with a stress induced panic attack. Um, I thought I was dying. I was, felt like I was suffocating. I couldn't breathe. By the time we got in the ER, I thought they were taking me to a doctor and they just took me to another waiting room. And that's when like, it went to a whole new level. Cause you know, you know, when you have to go pee and then you're like, okay, there's the bathroom door and you like go and it's locked. And then you have to pee like way worse. <laughs> that's kind of how I have weird analogies. That's kind of how that extra, I was like, I'm going to see a doctor. Oh God, another way. Like, oh wait, no, he's not. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we have free healthcare in Canada, which is wonderful, but it means you wait a whole lot longer for things. (laughs) And so my arms went numb, my face went soggy. And I thought like my body was shutting down and my boyfriend, like he was like, he could tell externally that I was fine, but like, I didn't know I was having a panic attack. So I didn't know what was going on. Uh, And that whole night I thought about work, 
which is crazy. Like the night you think you're dying, you're thinking about work. And I saw an energy worker later on and she said, interesting, because I was throwing up every 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And she's like, interesting that you were like, what were you thinking about? And I told her about like, I had these big things coming up and I just thought I should refund all the, all the students. I should play small. I should like get off the internet and like go live in like the forest, which I'm not domestic. So I wouldn't last a day. Mm -hmm. She's like, interesting because throwing up is like your solar plexus chakra if you're into that stuff. And she's like, and that's where your self-worth and your self-value lie. She's like, it's like we literally purged. And from that day, yeah, from that day, everything's shifted. I've also had to make a conscious effort to shift, but a lot of it, I just was like, I can't continue on that way. And I got really stubborn to stand up for myself. That was a really long answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, this is all about stories. And we were just sharing like, <laughs> the real, real experiences of, yeah, just like, everybody's life and everybody's story is different and I mean the fact that you had to go to the hospital you know your body and your mind was like done right? <laughs> like we gotta make yeah. some changes so yeah and it took 16 years <laughs> I was 16 years in but I'm, I'm you know I would never wish that on my worst enemy but I'm so thankful it happened because it opened up my eyes to a whole new way of running a business and the way many businesses run, but, but realizing I was a people pleaser, I was a very empathetic person and I wasn't running my business. It was running me. Yeah. And I think a lot of time, um, there's sort of like an industry standard of that hustle and that like work, 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 a hairstylist looks like this. You have to grind, you have to do these levels. Um, and then now that you're on the other side of it and you're like, actually I'm over here and yeah. I'm doing things this way and it's pretty awesome you know so I think that's and the cool thing is is like I didn't have anybody like there was no mentorship for solo stylists at the time like there and there was other business education I was taking but they didn't get our industry they didn't get like how it was such it was more than just a transaction it's a relationship and so and like a friendship that's like kind of confusing because they pay me, but it feels like a friend, but I feel obligated and, you know, so-and-so just lost their job. And now I guess I should just probably discount or give them their service. Cause now I feel obligated and all this obligation expectation I felt and confusion and nobody else that I went to for business advice, got it. They were just like, no, Don, this is how you run a business. And I'm like, you don't get it though. It's different. Like yeah. I watch their kids grow up. I, they tell me secrets, you know, that they don't tell yeah. me. Friend. and it does feel it's like you know everything about them and they know everything about you but you like wouldn't go to Thanksgiving dinner with them or whatever you do in Canada you know what I mean like you're not actually, have Thanksgiving too like, you're like just at a different time it's in October <laughs> anyway sidetrack you still get pumpkin spice latte you do yeah yeah it's funny and I actually have a oh sorry it just is a unique relationship. Mm -hmm. it, it's a one-sided relationship. And I know this might ruffle some feathers and some hairstylists will completely disagree with me. And that's a hundred percent. Okay. But it truly, it, we think it's a friendship and they even sometimes think it's a friendship until it doesn't serve them anymore because ultimately it is a business relationship and it's a hard truth. And like, when you're in it, you don't want to believe it. I had clients that I loved and cared about and they cared about me but as soon as I wasn't able to 
fit their needs anymore. It wasn't that they would make time or move around. It was all about convenience or, you know, whatever, whatever price or whatever, like there's so many different things. And I think the thing, the really hard thing I had to learn was like, I can be friendly with my clients, but I can't be friends with them. Or I need to have really clear cut boundaries because these clients that I cared for, I came in on the weekends, I stayed late for because I felt like we had that connection. And maybe we even hung out one or two times, But as soon as I needed something from the relationship, which I don't believe we should ask anything of our clients because we are getting paid by them. It is a business relationship. But I remember thinking that I had that reciprocated relationship. And when I needed something or when I, I took three months off work when my dog died and the ones that I thought would be the most understanding weren't. And it was kind of like this moment of like, oh, wow, like this has always been about them. And no wonder they love me so much because like, who doesn't want a one-sided friendship when it's always all about them? Let me talk about what's going on in my life. You tell like, make me feel better, make me feel good, like pour into me. And it literally requires no effort on their part. Of course, that's the ultimate friendship, but they don't realize it either. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so good. <laughs> I, um, do you, um, thinking about your anxiety and your panic attack, like you said, you had no idea what was actually happening at the time. Did you feel like, have you always struggled with anxiety? Was it something that you recognized before and were kind of navigating? So I didn't, I was formally diagnosed with depression at 19 years old. And I don't think I knew what anxiety was probably, um, I would say like in the last, like, for sure 10 years, maybe less. Like I had no idea. And it wasn't until I moved here to Calgary that I really understood. In hindsight, I can see where it was in my life ever present, right? Like I can see how anxiety has been part of my life since the day I was born, probably uh, since like a very young chat, like young kid, but not knowing what it was, not knowing how to understand it, not knowing how to deal with it. I always just thought I was super awkward and weird and said things at weird times, <laughs> but that was just my anxiety. I'm like, I'm not the one who gets anxious in retreats. I'm the one that like spews my guts when I'm nervous and anxious. Um, so yeah, I think I really started to understand it six years ago, to be honest. Yeah. My brother has always suffered from anxiety and the same thing, like we didn't know and we had no idea and I have never felt anything like that before. So it's kind of hard to empathize with this, like, I think that's always the case with mental illness is that even though the brain is a body part, just like anything else, like a broken arm or, you know, a disease Mm -hmm. or whatever, but, um, you went looking back, he always had a tummy ache, you know? And so Mm. that tummy ache, that was his anxiety. Yeah. And he was going to deal with it in a similar way. Like we had tornadoes growing up and he was, he would turn green, like green, white, deathly afraid of tornadoes. But, and that was his anxiety, but then he would like pretend he was a storm chaser, you know? So it was confusing too. Like you were outgoing. So you didn't like seem sick in air quotes. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, so I think it's interesting to just kind of like look back in hindsight, um, what would you say you do now to kind of navigate it? Can you feel it coming on? How do you move through it? What's that look like for you? Yeah. So, um, like that time when I landed in the hospital, I did not even write, like I had been having consistent panic attacks for over a year at that point. Um, and like more than I'd ever before. Like anxiety would arise, but I don't think I ever really, well, no, I had gotten a prescription for Ativan before, but I don't think I even knew what, <laughs> what I was using it for. Um, 
but I had been having like since it had kind of got under control and then moving like kind of spurred it on because I was going to you know show off a good a good front and wanting to be this perfect version of myself and that was what spurred on my anxiety was trying to be someone I wasn't mm-hmm. um but I started to learn how to watch the signs of it coming on but that night when I landed in the hospital um I had been reading a book called do less all about minimalism and we had purged a bunch of physical stuff like I got rid of like three quarters of my closet we got rid of a bunch of kitchen stuff I got rid of stuff from like my whole life just like purging 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 physical purge and then I think what I had was an emotional purge um which was really interesting so I didn't get like I started feeling sick we'd had like our favorite pizza place and then I started throwing up every 20 minutes and then my body started convulsing and but I was completely coherent so that time I and and then I you know, started hyperventilating, which we didn't catch either. And that's what caused like the limbs to go numb because I didn't have any oxygen in my blood. Um, had no clue it was a panic attack because it was different symptoms. But now I can tell, like I've been having over COVID, I've been having so much more anxiety and not, usually I can pinpoint what it's around, but it was just like generalized anxiety, waking up, feeling like tight in the chest, can't breathe, can't focus, foggy, um, kind of feeling like something really bad's around the corner. Like, you know, when you're watching a horror movie and the music starts and you're like, that's like my senses. Yeah. Like everything was on high alert, just waiting. And that's really exhausting. Um, And what I realized is I wasn't doing enough self-care. And so when I start to get into that motion, I can check and be like, have I, you know, taken time away from my phone? The last three nights I've like left my phone in my office and we have a townhome. So it's like three, four stories and I don't check my phone like overnight at all. And that's been a huge source of, of anxiety is like the comparison, the scroll, the stimulation. Um, so just really watching, sorry, to answer your question again, um, I have to really check in with my body and be like mind and body present and be really aware. Cause sometimes my anxiety will creep on. I won't even realize it. I'll realize I'm holding my breath. Like, yeah. I don't know if you've ever had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, um, or like even clenching your teeth or twirling. Yeah. Everybody has some, I think, form of that that you don't even realize that you're doing and just being real conscious and present about like being in your body and listening to mm. the fact because your body's really smart. It's like telling you what's going on, but sometimes you have to listen, I think, a little bit louder. Yeah, I always tease my boyfriend about needing a massage every night, but I think like, you know how like some people um, with, I don't know, like, I I don't know what it's for, but they like need their skin brushed, like for stimulation and like desensitization. I'm like, I just think I need like physical touch for an hour every day. Like it calms my nervous system down, but truly like getting a massage or I've been going for acupuncture twice a week and that's a game changer for me as well. I'm really into holistic stuff. I've been off medication minus Ativan for like severe panic attacks um, for seven years. That's so great. I, yeah, yeah, I think um, exploring alternatives is really healthy because our body innately knows what to do. And sometimes you just kind of have to figure out what that is. That yeah. Works. And I'm like, by no means am I like anti-pharma, but I think being aware of like, do I really need medication or is there a way that I can combat this? And some, sometimes I need the help of medication to get me to a place where I even have the energy mm-hmm. to do the things. Yeah. Definitely. I know people that say they don't like massages. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't like how are you human? I don't get it. <laughs> I had a client one time that said, don't worry about the head massage. Like, I don't like it. Just skip it. And my hands were just like, how, well, I don't know how to, 
I don't know how to not massage you, you know, like this is here. And there's like, hose yeah. <laughs> I know it blows my mind that people aren't, I'm not like a big physical touch person with other people other than like my partner uh, or my family, but like, I don't want to like hug a stranger, but yeah. I- I'm kind of the same like I'm not when I first meet you as a client I'm like hey big hugs welcome I will get a massage by anybody all day long every day yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh we're so the same person (laughs) so funny um so we actually met at Ember Retreat two years ago you were one of the speakers there and um I don't want to like make you feel bad but I I'm pretty empathetic empathic I guess I would say and your energy fell off you know and I know you know that and um I don't know if you want to share like what was going on but you got up on the stage and you did your speaking and you know you knocked it out and it was really beautiful and there was a lot of things that um people really really got things from your message um but you showed up anyway. So do you want to talk like a little bit about what that yeah. was like for you? As I start crying, which we, we pre, I was pre-warned. Don't worry guys. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, let's just see how much I can say without losing it. So just like two and a half weeks before Ember, um, my dog passed and he wasn't just a pet. He was like my soulmate. <laughs> And that's about all I can talk about. (laughs) Anyway, so I remember when it happened, which I can't go into that day, talk about trauma. um, But realizing like I had these commitments and trying to figure out what do I do? And I just wanted to like run as far away from life as possible. Um, And I actually, he passed on a Tuesday night and I actually packed up and drove and taught a class that following Monday mm-hmm. um, to like 30 hairstylists. And everyone's like that. I still get people being like, that was the most amazing class. I don't remember a second of it. <laughs> I was like, you know, when you're going through grief and when you're going through shock, cause you know, his passing was not um, expected. Mm-hmm. Um, your body and your brain just kind of go into like fight or flight mode and, crisis mode and I don't think me me Don was present for months um so yeah it was it was really hard and actually I was going through some of my archives on Instagram on my stories and I I found a story of me like in the airport about to fly down to Santa Barbara Mm -hmm. I don't even know where we were (laughs) uh to to fly down and I can like watching it like broke my heart because I was like oh yeah like it's like Hey guys, I'm in the airport. So excited. Like I was, it was like robotic. It wasn't me. And like, I was deep in the grief. And I remember like having to pop out of every single day while I was down there just to get through the days and having to like miss out on the mornings just because my body needed so much sleep. Um, but I need, I, it was important to me to show up because it wasn't about me and I know I would have time to grieve and I would have time, but, um, I, it was important to me. I had made a commitment and I wanted to fall through at it. And I knew it was going to be a space of love and acceptance and non-judgment. So I like my friend, Jamie and Piper, they're amazing people. And I knew that it would be a group of stylists that were loving and caring. Um, and I'm glad that I, that it was, you know, you could tell my energy was off, um, but I'm glad what I said was still able to speak. And I think the very first thing I said when I got up was just like, 
you know, it's been a rough few weeks. And so thank you for your grace and understanding. And then I went into talking. Yeah. thing. I think, um, so at the retreat, we got uh, like a binder, um, but it was just kind of like paper, like there was blank on the front. And so I took all my notes on that. And one of the things that you said that really stuck with me was you tell yourself, I can do hard things. Um, and I, I remember messaging you and I don't even know what the circumstance was now, but there's something that happened after that. And I messaged you like that, that stuck with me and that just helped me through whatever that situation was. And you're like, Oh, I'm glad that could help. You know, is there anything I can help you with? I'm like, Nope, that's it. Just wanted to let you know that <laughs> I appreciate that little note. Like it's stuck, it's stuck with me. And, um, I think, you know, when we were just talking about like client boundaries and stuff, sometimes you do have to show up. Um, maybe let's talk about the difference between like showing up because you have to, and then taking the time back because you have to. Yeah. And that's like a very fine line. And like talking about, like when I shared a little bit about my upbringing, I was brought up in a very, um, like black and white mentality, um, home and culture. And so there was like clear definitions of like, what's right, what's wrong. And that just seeped into every area of my life thinking like there are hard lines, but I've realized now through life, what personally and professionally, a lot of things have taught me, there's so much gray, there's so much gray and there's no clear definition of like this scenario, you do this, like everything's so personal and it's really just a dance. And so I think what we need to make sure we and I will I'm speaking from my own experience my own opinion is what is important to me is like just checking in with my gut and I lost touch with my intuition in my gut for a few years I was in a really unhealthy marriage um and I I got to a point where I didn't know how to trust my own gut because you know of abuse and things like that and like being out of touch with it and not knowing not knowing how to trust myself was really really hard Um, but now like slowly gaining that back over the years and being like, what feels right? Like knowing, do I need to take a mental health day? Cause I'm not having symptoms of like the flu or a cold, but I know that I can't go in and be present with my clients and, or like, what's my capacity. And I remember being really frustrated, realizing that my capacity to work isn't what most people's are. And that really frustrated me because dealing with depression and anxiety, Um, knowing that like, I have to pace myself out and I wanted to, you know, we've got this hustle culture in North America, which is so stupid and dumb. And like, you know, we're only see our identity is based on what we accomplish and how hard we work and how tired we are and how exhausted we are. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. And so I used to work like 40, 50, 60 hours a week and push myself to the limit. And I look at how many times I used to be sick. Mm-hmm. And I'd really lay there in bed in the morning and be like, okay, I have 12 clients today. If I cancel on them, I have to fit them in somewhere else. So I, yeah. I would push myself to go to work and then I would get really, really sick. I just basically just like crash and burn, work, 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 crash and burn, work, work, work. Um, and then I, after that night in the hospital, I realized, okay, I need to get really serious about um, how much I work and how it, but I got used to this lifestyle with this money that I made, right? Like, I was making bank because I was basically working the hours of two full-time jobs. Yeah, so like, <laughs> like actually like scaled back and look at your hourly wage. It was probably like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And being like, okay, like I'm used to this lifestyle, but I know that my health, like what's the point if I can't enjoy life. And so that's when I started getting really strategic about working less, but figuring out ways to create more income. Uh, and it was really neat to see that my, you know, even when I moved province and cities, I like, 
sold my house, packed up my salon, just walked away, had no plan. I just arrived here with no plan um, and didn't even have a blink in my, in my income, which is pretty cool. I didn't have to go into any savings or anything. I was just, I am really determined. I'm really resourceful um, and, and resilient, I guess I would say a little bit too, but learning that I can't like, I just need to be really strategic. And I don't often think of myself as a strategic person, but I'm a sink or swim person. So, and I'm stubborn. I'm a Taurus, I'm real stubborn. Um, so I'm like, Hey, I'm not going to work this many hours anymore. So how can I make the most of these hours and figure out how to maintain like that six figure income? Do you know your human design? Have you worked with that? <gasps> I love that you just brought that up because literally Monday, I just learned about this and we're, oh, cool. we're recording this on a Friday right now. Um, yeah. I had never heard of human design. I think this what it is. I'm like, I'm whatever Beyonce is. That's what the girl told me. Wait, it's like majestic generator or manifesting generator. There. I just took the quiz yesterday. Or is it a quiz? I just put my birth date in or whatever. Yeah, your birth time. It's basically like your um what do you call it? Your or your aura type kind of thing. Okay. But um Yeah, I don't know much about it. So tell me more right now. <laughs> I am not the expert. I have hired a coach since she just tells me like the things that I need to know because it's kind of confusing. But um it's so helpful in life and business because there are times where like society or the people around you or social conditioning say that you need to work in a certain way. Um but you don't like everybody is different and we are all unique mm-hmm. and knowing that it's okay. I'm also a manifesting generator. So like having lots of ideas, doing things before we're ready, just kind of like, huh, I'm going to move to a new city and I'm going to try this new thing and I'm going to start a podcast. <laughs> like, um, it's okay, but also like checking in when our, with ourselves and um, we don't have to do all of the things. And I think it's really important for me to say that we are all intuitive. So like when somebody says, I check in with your intuition, it's not like your psychic powers or ability. It's literally your reptilian brain saying like, this is fear. This is survival. This feels good, you know, and Mm -hmm. we can't live off of survival. We're not meant to and so when we're hustling and grinding 12 hours a day in the salon your body is just like pumping cortisol through you it's like poison we're not going to get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger if we don't work 12 hours or get in that one more client or do all the things and um yeah easing into this so I think like what you're doing with your um, course is so important for people to know that you actually can be really successful without killing yourself (laughs) behind the chair. So do you want to talk about your course a little bit? Yeah. So I have my signature course is called Rock Your Business, Your Stress-Free Guide to Earning Six Figures. And I love to share like Lauren's story, one of my students, because she worked in, she works in a small town in Virginia and she was working 12 hour days, like six days a week. She had an assistant. She's like, that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And then she realized, wait, I'm not, I'm not loving this. And she actually, she went through the program um, and she cut back her hours. Um, I think like, I want to say like to half, she double. she went through um, the money module that I have and realized that, you know, she doesn't, she should be charging more for what she's giving. She let go of her assistant doubled her prices in a small town. And I'm not saying everyone should double their prices. It's like, it's a, an equation to figure out. Um, but she worked less last year in 2019 and made $30,000 more and officially became a six figure stylist. 
thing. Isn't that cool? And yeah, like I have, I'm currently in an enroll in a class right now. And like, I think I've had like five students reach out and be like, I made my full price of the program back. I made like in under a week and a half. And I'm just like, what the, I'm impressed. Like, that's amazing. In these times, you know, in these times, absolutely. Times, which is really yeah. Yeah. So the program is all about, you know, there's so many like earn six figures and this is the ultimate goal. And like, yeah, it's a great goal to have, but not at the cost of your health and wellness, right? Not like, yeah. And I always say like, I can just, I could easily teach you how to earn six figures by do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But I actually want to take things off stylist plate. I want to make their lives easier. And so the program is set up really simple, easy to go through, but it requires them to take action. And that's the hardest part on anything. I always say I am addicted to learning and allergic to implementing. <laughs> like I love soaking up as much knowledge as I can ask me to implement it. And I'm like, but wait, can I go on to the next like manifesting generator? But I have a new idea. Like yeah, something shiny. Yes, let's try that. Yeah, I wish like just on the other wall here, I have like a massive whiteboard with like probably 150 sticky notes of ideas on it. Cause that's what I, I and I can't do it digitally. It has to be kinesthetic. I'm the same. I will like look through notebooks I have and be like, what in the hell? Like, what does this note even mean? And just, I have just like no yeah. like a crazy person. But I just need someone to follow me around all day long and be like, I'd be like, oh, this is a really great idea. And they organize it into where it needs to go. Cause I'm like, I won't, I'll forget. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the program's been really awesome. It's been um in existence since January of 2019. So it's been a year and a half of it, and I'm just so proud and impressed with all my students. It's amazing to see how far they've come. Um, you know, quite a few of them were like, without Rock Your Business, um, I would have probably really been stressed out during COVID and shut down. But they're like, because of the way I positioned myself financially and what I learned, I was able to, you know, not even stress about being off for 10 weeks, which to know that I've made that different, you know, no, I don't want to say I, I don't want to take credit, but the program has played a part in that for them is really, really rewarding. And that's what like lights me up and continues because, you know, I'll be honest, like with every awesome thing that happens, like there's been really, there's been people who have said some really terrible things because, you know, people want to see you do good. They don't want to see you do great. And, and I'm not going to be for everyone, right? Not everyone's going to like me. And so I cling to those to hear that because there's always someone there to say like, what you're doing is shit. And it's hard to hear that. And it's hard to realize like, you know, I just, my deep down, my biggest, like, fear is like I just want people to like me yeah but I think you know knowing that and having the tools to navigate it are so important and you know when you are a platform I mean if you follow Dawn on Instagram she's got a lot of followers you know and a lot of people that love 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 what you do but why is it those few negative people that come in or there's few like naysayers and it it sticks to you I mean there is a like a science to it um I was listening to something where um, a scientist was talking about how like if you find um, if you find like a $20 bill in the parking lot you'll be like sweet and you pick it up and you put it in your pocket but if you drop a $20 bill in your parking in the parking lot you'll like think about it for weeks how you lost that money and even though it's kind of like the same energetically like the negative stayed longer for some reason. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing once that it takes 10 compliments to diminish one put down, but I'm like, nah, I think it'd be like, 
I don't think anything. I think those things like I, this is a really random story, but in grade five, I was walking home from school and these two boys were walking behind me, Britt and Danny, and they were yelling, Hey, big butt at me. And my entire life that stuck with me thinking I have a big butt, like those comments get ingrained into us. And like when they create, when it's something that creates an awareness or an insecurity, those things run deep and they're hard to overcome and they're hard to undo. And even little comments, like I, I used to have a client who had three daughters and so I would do her hair. She'd be obsessed with it. She'd be so happy. And so then she'd leave and go to the tribal council. I called it and like whatever the girls said went, you know, and if they're like, I don't like that. Then she'd come back and be like, can we fix this? And can we do that? And I'm like, yeah, but remember how happy you were when it was just you looking at yourself in the mirror. Don't let them get in your ear just because you think Mm -hmm. that's And that's hard. That's, part of our business and navigating again yeah I I remember the first time I cried at work because a lady so I was like 19 and my client was 30 and I remember being like oh 30 like I'm I'm like inching towards 40 now so I'm like that's so funny that I look back and that's how I thought about a 30 year old woman um but she was like yeah I love it and then she's like my mom said and I was like what 30 year old goes to their mom (laughs) like but I was getting defensive because I felt insecure but she's like it's a little bit too light so I put some low lights in and then she then she loved it and then she phoned and was like it's too dark and so we brought her back in and like did some more highlights. She loved it. Then phoned a couple of days later. It's too light again. And I remember my boss being like, I back you on whatever you decide for this. So I said to her, I'm like, unfortunately, I'm, you know, I've fixed it twice for you. And I feel like I just can't make you happy. And she just went off on me on the phone. She was like swearing a streak at me, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, I understand. And I got off the phone. I held it together on the phone. I got off the phone in the back room. We didn't have cell phones then. That's how old I am in the industry got off the phone, sat down and like my coworkers were in the back room, just like looked at me and I just burst into tears being like, why are people so mean? But we all have our own shit we're dealing with. It, that is true to remember. And I've had instances where people have like come at me about something and then I see them later and it's like, it never happened. I'm like, you yelled at me about, mm-hmm. you know, one light, a layer, you know, like right here but they were just having a bad day, you yes. know? <laughs> so challenging. It's so mm-hmm. But when it's so great, it's so great. And yeah, I think it's exciting. Um, what do I want to lead with? Okay, tips for, since you've like um, rebuilt your clientele multiple times, like a quick tip if somebody's like scared to move because X, Y, Z. Right, so you just got to be really, um, stubborn about your goals, but flexible about your approach. That, that would be, that's my, my moment. Quick tip. <laughs> um, that's a very quick tip. Be stubborn about your goals. Like I, when I moved here, you know, I, people told me I should go back and be self or not, not be self-employed because I didn't know anybody that I should go back to a salon. And I was like, I just have to trust my gut on this one. I had my resume ready. Um, but I was like, I know what I want. And if I go work in a salon as a, as an employee, I'm just going to piss off the owners a year from now when I take off and do my own thing. So I was like, this doesn't make sense on paper. Why would I go out on my own? And I went and looked at chair renting, but I was like, no, it still doesn't feel right. I don't like the environment. And I didn't want to work from home. That was like, nope. I was like, home, working from home. Like I had this attitude towards it. I don't anymore. 
Um, but I was like, what are my goals? And I was like, I don't want to work from home, but I have to be flexible about my approach. So I worked from home for a year. I built up a thrive. I was fully booked with in under 12 weeks. Um, and I actually have, if people want to get like exactly how I did, I have a seven step, um, free download at dombradley.com slash playbook. Um, the, it's called the client attraction playbook. It's the exact seven steps I used to get fully booked in under 12 weeks. Um, but yeah, from my basement, strangers were coming over to a stranger's home. They had never met to get their hair done. And that's where I had to be flexible. I didn't want to work from home. I didn't want to work from my basement. I hated it for that whole year. Mm-hmm. I hated it. Um, but within a year I had signed a commercial lease and now I have that salon and I'm just actually signing for another five years now. Mm-hmm. So it's been five years of that space. So that's that whole stubborn about your goals. What do I really want? What am I willing to kind of give up in order to get there? Perfect. And then take us back to like little Dawn seeing the hairstylist and her saying you can't make it. Now you're on the other side of it. What would you tell a client in your chair that was thinking about going to cosmetology school? Oh, I'd be like, go for it. This could be the most fulfilling decision you ever make. And you can be extremely profitable you just have to be smart about it and not meaning like, it doesn't mean like head smarts. It doesn't mean academic smart. It just means, you know, you know, where you put your energy, what, what lights you up, follow that because then you're going to work harder on those things. But if, you know, I could be, I could be making six figures in a corporate job and hate it because I don't, it doesn't light me up. So I always say like, if you're really passionate about that passion translates, once again, I just tell them, be stubborn about your goals, flexible about your approach, regardless of industry. If there's something you want to pursue, just because no one else has done it, doesn't mean you can't. I love that. Thank you so much. This has been like such an amazing conversation. I think we covered all of all our of We all laughed, we cried. <laughs> Thanks again, Don. I'll link everything um, in the show notes so you can um, get in all your things Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you liked it, and I know you did, please don't forget to leave a five-star review. I love hearing from other stylists, so take a screenshot of the episode and tag me in it at Mindful Hair by Emily. If you have a story to share and would like to be on a future episode, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. We'll see you guys next Monday with more Stories with Stylists.